can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. This is Carmen with uh, the No Apologies podcast. Sorry, that was kind of a, a messy intro, but it's kind of a messy day, like most days, having a toddler. I'm just kind of making up for lost time, lost podcasting time. Um, I want to do just a quick episode today about something that I've been thinking about from reading scripture. So if you listen to No Apologies, uh, whether you've started listening when it was still part of my blog, Viva La Joy, or now that it's with Stasios, you you know that most of my episodes are usually about something relating to culture or politics or sometimes like a specific cultural event. You know, I have episodes on the Methodist Church LGBT conflict. I have one on Jesse Smollett's hate hoax. I have one on transgender predator Jessica Yaniv, among others. And I still want to do those. I know you guys like those, um, and I like doing them. But the reality is that I am just not really in a place right now where I can record episodes like that fast enough. Like, honestly, the news cycle goes so fast that if a story breaks you pretty much need to do a podcast on it the same day or within 48 hours, or there will be multiple other podcasts and tons of stuff written about the issue, which is not a bad thing at all. It's actually a very good thing. You know, that means you have a plethora of options for getting your information. Um, And I wish I could jump in the fray and get my voice out there as fast as other people. But um, I make podcasts when I have time, and I do it for very little money. So I've just decided to kind of stick stick with topics, for the most part, that are timeless. So that's kind of why I want to try sort of this almost Bible study approach today, because you can listen to this whenever, and it won't seem like I'm way behind the times. Um, So, however, I will say that if you like what I talk about, if you like me, my niche, what I'm trying to do, then I would highly recommend Allie Beth Stuckey. Um, her podcast is called Relatable, and it's really good. She makes one every Monday and Wednesday, and she gets paid the big bucks by Blaze TV, so it's a very well-done podcast. Um, and I think sometimes as a female Christian, it's kind of hard to find content that isn't being marketed to me in this very vapid kind of way. And Allie Beth is relatable, like the podcast title suggests, but she's <clears throat> but she's also very thoughtful and intelligent and easy to listen to. Um, another good kind of similar podcast is called Real Christianity with Dale and Veronica Partridge. I'm not like a huge fan of the Partridges. Um, I like them. I do. Um, Their podcast just has a lot of good content. So if you don't like the style or the way that they necessarily, you know, go about it, it's just a casual back and forth between a husband and wife. Um, Just try to get past that and enjoy the fact that they are giving you some pretty good, thoughtful information about Christian culture and the Bible. So that's me uh, saying to supplement no apologies with Relatable or Real Christianity, or there's tons of other very good similar podcasts out there. But that aside, let's dig into some thoughts that I've been having lately about what I think might be the most hated words of Jesus. Okay, so I'll just start by having you think about it here for a minute. So when I say the most hated words of Jesus, what comes to your mind? What do you think of? Um, I would imagine that most people in America in 2019 would probably guess that the most hated things that Jesus 
said had to do about hell or maybe sexuality and immorality. And those are kind of related to what I'm going to suggest that I think are the, is the most hated thing that Jesus said. Um, but I think it's a little bit less obvious than that. Um, so I'm going to read from you, read to you from a couple stories and just see if you can spot what I think are the most hated words that Jesus spoke. All right. So the first story is from John 5 verse 1. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. All right, so that's the first story. And the next story I'm going to read to you is from John. So in John 8 verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Did even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And that is the end of that story. Okay, so thinking back on those stories, what do they have in common? They have uh, Jesus obviously helping someone who needs help. Um, They both involve the religious leaders of the time, the sort of moral authorities um, asking questions about Jesus's authority. They both have Jesus being pretty kind, but also pretty firm. I mean, there's not a lot of extra touchy-feely stuff going on. Jesus is pretty straightforward in both of these interactions. And Jesus telling both the, the healed, disabled man and the woman caught in adultery to go and sin no more. Those are all common denominators in those stories. So if you haven't guessed already, I think that the words that most people hate are Jesus's final admonitions to these people, which is to stop sinning, specifically stop and sin no more. 
And the reason why I think those are probably the most hated words of Jesus, and please understand, I'm, I'm saying people probably hate these words subconsciously. I doubt most people even realize that they don't like this, this command. Um, but the reason why I think people hate those words subconsciously or consciously is because of our society's extreme aversion to calling sin, sin, or doing anything about it, which I think is pretty obvious. I mean, churches, most churches, most American churches refuse to call out sin, even in their own members, the people who voluntarily choose to be part of this community of Christ followers, where the Bible, the primary source of instruction for them, tells them to call out lovingly sin in one another. Most churches refuse to do that. They have no interest in doing that. Um, Christians are terrified of being seen as judgmental. Many Christians are so worried that non-Christians or other nominal type Christians will think that anything they say is intolerant or judgmental. And you see this because people are so quick to counter any suggestion of sin with the phrase, don't judge, or to even quote Jesus in that story with the adulterous woman about throwing stones. They're very quick to say, oh, well, you can't judge anyone because you're not perfect. That is sort of our quick gut reaction to anything involving sin. And, you know, I'll be very honest and say that Jesus's words, go and sin no more, are pretty convicting to me personally. Um, I don't particularly like them. Um, In my walk with God, yeah, I have made some very big strides over almost two decades. Um, I'm definitely less controlled by my sin nature than I used to be, but I still sin And I don't particularly like it when someone calls me out and tells me to stop sinning. So I get it to a certain degree. I empathize. Um, But I don't think we're really doing ourselves any favors by hating these words from Jesus. I think we would be better off if we embraced them. And here I think people could understandably say, well, yeah, sure, Carmen, we should stop sinning, but no one is perfect and no human being can be perfect. So isn't it kind of pointless to fixate on that? Isn't it, you know, what is the point of worrying about stopping sinning if we're all going to continue sinning? And obviously there's a whole passage in the Bible about that, that you can read Romans six. Um, But just for the sake of time, I will say uh, my answer to your question, is it pointless to fix on that, is no. Um, I don't think it's pointless at all because while these are just two examples of Jesus explicitly telling individual people not to sin in these stories, pretty much the entire Bible is concerned with the problem of sin and evil and disobedience and disregard for God and laziness and apathy. Um, All of those things are addressed and dealt with, and they cause pretty bad consequences over and over and over again for people. So obviously, sin is a pretty big deal to God. Um, He doesn't think that talking about it, dealing with it, addressing it is pointless. And ultimately, we know the thing that Jesus talked about the most while he did his ministry on the earth was the gospel, that he was on earth to save sinners from their sin. So if the Son of God had to die in order to pay for the crushing debt of sin, then obviously it's a big deal and we would be foolish to act otherwise. Um, So I think that's the first thing that we should get into agreement with about God, that sin is not minor or insignificant 
or something we just kind of push out of our minds until we get to heaven, I guess. Um, yes, if you're a Christian, your sin is completely forgiven, and that is truly amazing. But that forgiveness costs a lot, and your continued sin that you don't repent of and change continues to cost you. It doesn't cost you your salvation, but it definitely is going to affect your sense of self, your sense of God, um, your relationships, your influence, all of those things are affected by your sin, so that is why it is important that you stop. That is why God wants you to stop sinning. Um, I think the second and pr probably more important thing that we need to get into agreement with God about is that sin is not secretly good or desirable, and I will explain that a little bit more. Um, most people sin, I think, myself included, because on some level, they believe that the thing that they shouldn't be doing, whether, you know, that's being greedy or engaging in adultery or lying or something, they believe that that is actually what they should be doing. You know, we think whatever sin is most appealing to us in a given moment will actually provide something for us that, you know, God is withholding. That affair is going to make you feel loved and wanted and good. Telling that lie is going to help you get what you want. Hating that person is going to make you feel vindicated and bring about justice. And most of us don't admit these things, but we choose to sin because we secretly believe that God just kind of needs to get out of the way for a moment so we can have this thing that he's not giving us. Um, you know, we kind of secretly think he's just wrong about this. He doesn't understand the whole situation or he doesn't understand our feelings or what he wants us to do is unfair. And obviously that is wrong. I mean, that is just wrong thinking. That is you or I believing something wrong about God. We are believing that we know better than him, that we know what is actually good, and that we should have it regardless if God says otherwise. And that is the core of sin. So it's pretty understandable why Jesus would call us to stop sinning, because the entire reason for him being on earth and suffering the way that he did was to bring people into a right relationship with God so that they could see and respond to God rightly and trust him, trust that he had their best interests. And that is why he modeled self-sacrifice. I mean, Jesus, out of anyone, could have had his own way. He could have told God that what God required wasn't right and he wasn't going to do it. I mean, Jesus, of anyone, was in a position to do that, but he did the opposite and he denied himself so that our sin could be paid for because that was ultimately the good thing, the best thing that could happen. So I think it's really important for Christians to drop this aversion to calling out sin or fighting sin or just our really extreme dislike of these words of Jesus telling us to stop sinning. I mean, I, I hope that that seems really obvious. I think that fighting sin and repenting of sin and not wanting to sin and be obedient to God is pretty much at the core of being a Christ follower. But like I said, I'm skeptical that it's that obvious because of our culture's hatred of being told that certain things are wrong and that they should stop doing them. So if you're skeptical of what I'm saying, or, or maybe on the flip side, you agree with me and you just want to dig into it more, 
My suggestion would be to read the Gospels in their entirety. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read those, ponder the things that Jesus says, pay close attention to what he says to the people that he's interacting with, read a good Bible commentary. But most of all, just take to heart this idea, really believe this if you're a Christian, because this is true, that sin really isn't good for you. God is not withholding good things when he asks you to stop sinning. He is saving your life. So I think that'll do it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys next time. He spoke to me in a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. 